Eagles Entertainment. With the 15th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got today our running back preview here on the Journey to the Draft Podcast. And we're going to start with Draft Buzz, where Dane Brugler and Ben Fennel are going to come by. We're going to hit on a bunch of running back superlatives, who stands out at every area of the draft. We're going to get to that there, and some draft news, uh, some news here in the NFL world uh, that impacts the NFL draft. We'll get into that at the very top of the show. After that, we've got On the Clock, where Ben, Dane, and I are going to th- pick three players at three random positions for three random teams at three random parts of the draft. It's a fun exercise. We're going to get into that there in the middle of the show. We'll round it out with Draft Mailbag. A couple of questions and a mock draft from you at home. As always, the best way to reach us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast is to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will answer it. A mock draft, a big board, rankings, whatever it is you want us to break down, we will get to it here on an upcoming episode. Appreciate everybody that has gone on and left us ratings and left us questions in recent days and recent weeks. Thanks so much for all of your support. That said, let's get into this running back preview. Excited to chop it up here with Ben and Dane. It's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, well, let's start things off with Draft Buzz as I welcome in Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler. And guys, uh, some big news here. We're recording here early afternoon on Monday, and the Indianapolis Colts have reportedly traded for Atlanta Falcons quarterback uh, and Philadelphia native Matt Ryan. And so uh, the the Colts kind of filling up that quarterback need. They don't have a first-round pick, obviously. But I guess, Dane, this does kind of open up some possibilities for Atlanta, uh, who, has a, who has a top-10 pick, and what they could do now uh, come draft weekend. Can you name the only quarterback currently on the Falcons roster? I believe that is Josh Rosen, right? Mr. Uh, Franks. Felipe Franks. Felipe yeah. Franks. There you go. Nice. So, but I mean, that, that's the my quickest way of saying they need a quarterback. Um, right. And so at number eight, you know, is it, one of these quarterbacks entice them. This is a big quarterback week on the pro day circuit. So uh, maybe we can. Uh, maybe there'd be some breadcrumbs. You know, does that does Atlanta send? Uh, you know, is Arthur Smith go to one of these pro days, or you know, it sounds like uh, maybe they there's a they reunite Marcus Mariota uh, in Atlanta yep. with Arthur Smith. Sounds like that's a strong possibility of happening. But uh, is there another quarterback that they feel could be the future of the, of the team? That's something that honestly, I don't think any of us have really put a ton of, uh, you know, uh, mental uh, energy into thinking about that just because it didn't seem like it was it was likely to happen. But now when you just look at the current landscape of where this team is, it, it's worth uh, worth thinking about. Um, and, you know, they passed on Justin Fields last year. They passed on Matt, or, uh, Mac Jones last year. Uh, so is there a quarterback here that they just feel more strongly about? That's, uh, I guess, time will tell. Yeah, Felipe Franks appeared in seven games last year. I know it was only 14 snaps and there were some fun packages for an undrafted free agent. Seven games appeared when you formulate it like that. It's kind of interesting. So yeah, we'll see if they uh, dip into the free agent market, maybe give the young guy an opportunity to start or add a young guy in this upcoming draft to compete with them. So I'm really interested as well to see uh, where the direction of the franchise goes, but they've now hit full reset, but you know, we moved on from Julio Jones last year and his huge salary and contract. You know, the writing was kind of on the wall for Matt Ryan to do the same. If you're in a rebuild mode, no real point to kind of hold on to those high dollar veterans. 
And Dane, to your point, the, with all the quarterback pro days here this week, uh, Kenny Pickett from Pitt, their, their pro day was here on Monday. Uh, Jim Nagy put out a list of some of the people in attendance. And the Atlanta Falcons did have their general manager, offensive coordinator, and quarterback coach uh, out in Pittsburgh for that pro day. They were amongst a handful of teams uh, that did have uh, that level uh, of attention being paid uh, towards the quarterback position there in Pittsburgh. So something to keep an eye on here. A lot of firepower. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of firepower to see Lucas Kroll. I mean, that's uh, (laughs) – they they could use another tight end. uh, uh, That Kyle Pitts guy, I don't know if he's going to last. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. And then, guys, uh, on Friday, we got some unfortunate news uh, in the NFL draft uh, circle where David Ojabo, uh, Michigan pass rusher, uh, goes down with reportedly a torn Achilles. Adam Schefter tweeting out on Saturday uh, a torn Achilles there for David Ojabo. So, uh, Dane, I guess I'll come to you here. What does that mean for Ojabo's draft status? Where do you see him coming off the board when it's all said and done next month? Yeah, it's always tough with these injuries, especially at this point in the calendar. Um, So much will depend on the exact nature of the injury. Do teams get enough uh, information that they need before draft weekend? Um, And, you know, making sure because obviously we're past the combine. So, uh, you know, I guess Ojabo will be going to Indianapolis for medical rechecks, I'm guessing. And hopefully the doctors be able to get enough information there to get to their team so they can make a, a, an accurate decision on where he'll be drafted. But it, it's tough because, uh, you know, Jabo was a guy that is still very young in football years. You weren't expecting necessarily for him to come in and uh, dominate from, from, from week one. That just wasn't a realistic expectation for him, but now it's not, he won't have to take a full red shirt year. At least you don't expect that, but Without having any live reps for the next, you know, six to eight months, uh, that just puts him behind in terms of his uh, trajectory. And so you have to wonder about what type of impact he will give you uh, at all as a rookie and then just moving forward, what type of player he'll be. So because of that, just taking an informal poll, um, you know, with uh, some some league guys, they all thought he'd fall out of the first round. Uh, and I don't think this will be a free fall situation where we're talking about, oh, we'll pick him up on day three. No, that's not. It's not like that. As long as the the injury, the surgery, and the rehab go according to plan, I still think he goes probably somewhere in the second round. Um, and it's you know, we, Sidney Jones a couple of years ago with the Eagles. That's that's a recent example um, of a pro day injury that kind of you know, knocked a, a player out of the first round. And uh, obviously, you know that that played out as it did. But David Ajabo, I thought he would have probably gone somewhere between twelve and twenty without this injury. So now it just it, it complicates thing. I think you have to push them back at least one round. Yeah. I think the day two, early day two ballpark is going to be the landing spot. I think a team will maybe even come up early in day two, a lot like the way Sidney Jones went off the board, Jalen Smith, even Deo Dengbo had the Achilles tear before the senior bowl last year, ended up being a second round pick. I think a lot of people are wondering, can he have a Jeffrey Simmons type of trajectory? You know, obviously injured coming out, you put him on the shelf for a little bit and he emerges into an elite star and you never look back. Not sure he's quite as ready as Jeffrey Simmons was at a Mississippi State. So a little bit different style of player and a little bit different of a developmental path there. So definitely think in that 35 to 40 range, he'll be off the board. And that's why you guys made the point, you know, it's not that David Ojabo was viewed as like this ready-made player that was going to make that impact on day one. So, uh, Dan, you you alluded to it. It's not like teams were expecting him to come in and have that impact from day one, but 
Ben, you just mentioned it. It's not like he's ready-made. You're hoping that he was able to be able to put that work in over the course of the spring and the summer and kind of get acclimated, and he won't be able to do that. So uh, I'm fascinated to see what this does uh, for his draft stock. Obviously, you feel terrible for him uh, as a person, but uh, something he'll have to overcome here uh, as he enters the NFL. Uh, let's now get into this running back preview, guys. And, uh, you know, we'll do what we've done here over the last couple of weeks. We're going to pick a position. We've got a handful of categories, and we'll talk about players throughout the course of the entire draft that fit into those categories. And real quick, before we get into, into the first superlative, uh, over the last 10 years, the average number of running backs drafted every spring, 22 and a half. So that's about how many backs you can expect to go off the board. Now, I think it is, it is kind of interesting that that number has been significantly lower each of the last two seasons, only 17 in 2020, only 19 last year. So if the average is 22 and a half over the last decade for it to be that low, I think it's kind of interesting. So we'll see exactly how many come off the board. It's a really intriguing class and we'll get into uh, some of these top players. And we're going to start off with the best combo skill set, who in this class best represents the best blend of running and receiving ability, that ability to be a three down back. And so, uh, Dane, you and I are going to kind of tag team on day two options. Ben, with your sleepers, you're going to come at us uh, here with day three. So, uh, Dane, I'll let you kick things off. Who's a guy on day two that you really like as having that kind of combo skill set we should talk about right at the top? Uh, we'll start with Brees Hall uh, from Iowa State, who uh, is not my running back one, but he is the betting favorite to be the first running back off the board. And a big reason for that is uh, his ability to do it all and be an every down type of player. Uh, you just want to get the ball in his hands. And whether that means catching the ball out of the backfield, he had 82 catches uh, over the last three years, at least 23 catches every single season, uh, six touchdowns uh, as a pass catcher. Uh, and then as a runner, uh, you know, I don't necessarily see a sudden athlete, but the way he tested with uh, a 4-3 in the 40, 40-inch 40 vert, um, you, you see a guy with athleticism, and he has a lot of the running back-specific traits that you want, vision, patience, decision-making, uh, contact balance. So uh, there's a lot of things in, in Brees Hall's favor that say, okay, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of everything, maybe not elite in any one category, but I'm pretty good across the board. Yeah, it seems like Hall is the favorite to be the first back off the board. But as you mentioned, uh, not everybody's RB1. I believe Kenneth Walker of Michigan State is your RB1, Dan. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, uh, yes sir. Well, yeah, so Walker is the guy I'll bring up here from Michigan State. Uh, transferred in this year uh, from Wake Forest, where he was, uh, you know, had a solid career to start things off, just under 600 yards rushing in both of those two seasons. But goes into the transfer portal, goes to Michigan State, uh, first-team All-American. Doak Walker Award is the running back of the year in college football. Runs for 1,600 yards yards uh, in the Big Ten, 18 touchdowns this past year. So running the football, no questions. I mean, the, the vision and feel are outstanding. He's always squared to the line of scrimmage. He runs behind his pads. He can break tackles in every which way imaginable. He protects the football. Uh, he's a pretty good pass protector. He's really strong, uh, really tough and competitive in all areas. The big question you have about him in terms of having that combo skill set well, he only had 19 career catches, very limited sample size as a receiver out of the backfield. And so you're going to rely on that small sample size along with what he did at the combine, where I, I thought he caught the ball pretty well uh, out in Indianapolis during drills. Uh, and then also in these private workouts with teams at the pro day, uh, all of those things. So uh, I think when you look at Kenneth Walker, his potential uh, th three down skill set, I think that that's there. And it's definitely something that's on the on the table for him moving into the NFL. So uh, with Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker down, Ben, Who's a, a day three option we should be keeping our eyes on here? Well, I really want to mention James Cook, but I actually think he's going to slide into the end of day two there. Also, he's a little bit of more of the matchup guy and the perimeter kind of satellite back. So I want a more traditional option here. And I'm going to go with Tyler Beatty out of Missouri. 
who just casually finally got the full workload with Larry Roundtree moving on, broke off 1,600 yards in the SEC, five games over 200 yards, not to mention 124 career receptions. This guy is one of the more well-rounded dual threat running backs, and he can survive in a zone scheme between the tackles. He's got the juice out to the perimeter. He's real tough and finishing uh, on, you know, a defender and linebackers and safeties that come in late to the play. I think Tyler Beatty is an outstanding player. I think he tested really well in Indianapolis and in the SEC, put on any of the games from 2021. He took over. He could not be tackled. He could not get uh, taken to the ground. So Tyler Beatty, really interesting day three option. Yeah, he's a, a really intriguing player and a guy that, honestly, you could bring up here in this next category as well. That's best third down back. Who does it, who does it best in both receiving and in pass protection. And I'll start things off here uh, with this one with a guy that could go here in day two, and that's Notre Dame's Kyron Williams. Now, could he sneak into day three? That's definitely possible after the combine running just under four, seven at 194 pounds, not ideal height, weight, speed. But I think when you look at Kyron Williams, the football player, where does he most stand out? It's on third down. He catches the ball extremely well. He's got really natural hands. They move him all around the formation. He ran routes like a wide receiver very often was split out in the formation. And then you get to pass protection guys where you would make the argument and you'd probably win that he's the best pass protector in this class. You can go back to his redshirt freshman year in 2020, that Clemson game, prime time, Notre Dame beats Clemson. Uh, he was outstanding in that one. I go back even to, to Wisconsin as well uh, from that season. You go back to this past year, uh, some of the games that he put on film, uh, I thought he really, really stood out in pass protection. Uh, just watching this guy uh, seek and destroy uh, opposing blitzers. He's, his eyes are always in the right, right place. He'll try he'll pick up stunts really well with offensive linemen. He's a lead blocker and quarterback runs as well. So you kind of see him in that area of his game as a blocker. So to me, when you talk about pure third down back, I think Kyron Williams, is he as electric as some of these other guys we're going to talk about? No, but I think when you talk about what is asked at the position on third down, I think Kyron Williams checks a lot of those boxes, Dane. Yeah, that uh, he's, he's a fun player. And even though his combine was, a little disappointing. Um, I think that you just throw in the tape, and it's hard not to really appreciate what he does. So it'll be interesting to see if the combine testing knocks him out of day two. But there will be some teams just waiting early day three, hoping that happens because uh, his ability to help on third downs, it's going to keep him in the league a long time, just like a, like a James White or a, a player like that. So, you know, he's a specialized player, but that's a, it's, a, it's a trait that a lot of teams are looking for. All right. Well, Dane, who's, uh, who's your day two option? Uh, so I'm going with Tyler Algier uh, from BYU, who, you know, a former walk-on, and, man, he competes with that that type of attitude, that uh, determination, that nothing is given type of attitude. Uh, and it shows um, as the runner, but also as a blocker. Uh, and it doesn't matter if he's asked to be a, a lead blocker. It doesn't, uh, doesn't matter if he's asked to be uh, stay home in pass protection. He's alert. He's gets physical. He'll stick his shoulder in the blitzer's belly. Um, and this is a guy who played linebacker as a sophomore because uh, they just wanted to get him on the field. And so no complaints, uh, I think at 26 tackles uh, in eight games at linebacker for BYU. So this is a guy that's just whatever's asked of him, he's going to do it and he's going to do it uh, to a, on a pretty high level of whatever he can do. So I think Tyler Algier fits that. He's uh, a good player. He's done a lot of good things on film uh, for that BYU offense over the last couple of years. Uh, ben, how about you? Who's your day three option here? Well, I'm going to go with Tristan Ebner out of Baylor, who I think is a really good third down back, 124 career receptions, over 12 yards per catch. Incredible for running back, all sorts of screens, angle routes, 
He'll take linebackers up the seam, a couple of creative plays and scramble drills as well. Seems like he's that quarterback's best friend. Only five drops on 156 targets. Extremely sure-handed. Ran 4-4-3 at the combine, so check that box. Also a prolific kick returner, too, so giving some special teams help. I just peeked over at Lance Zerline's profile. His comp is Tony Pollard as a pass catcher, mm. just to tell fans, you know, what they uh, certain scouts think of him and his ability. So Tristan Ebner split a lot of time in that backfield. Abram Smith was more of the bruiser. Ebner is a really loose, creative third down back. And I got to mention his pass pro as solid as his receiving ability. There's a reason why he's on the field third down, no block, no rock. And he has to block quite often for uh, Abram Smith and some quarterback runs as well, too. So he's a really tough kid. Well, you mentioned Abram Smith and Dane. I know that's who you want to talk about here for this next category. Uh, a day two option. Who is the best zone runner? Who's best on these inside outside zone schemes? Uh, I know you want to hit on Abram Smith here. So, yeah, Abram Smith, he's a natural for this category. Uh, when you talk about uh, the top zone runners in college football and especially this drive class, uh, that that wide zone they run at Baylor. Uh, he ran it and he ran it uh, to the tune of six, over 1600 yards this year. Uh, another former linebacker just mentioned that with Tyler Algier. Abram Smith, same thing, was a linebacker in 2019. They moved him back to offense and looked like he's been, uh, you know, just moved, made the move without a hitch. Uh, decisive. Uh, his vision uh, when he's out on the move is outstanding. His feet are very controlled. They're quick. Uh, and he's not a guy that just tries to uh, find the quickest escape route or bounce everything. I mean, he goes based on the blocking scheme and what's designed for him. He trusts the blocking. And so uh, with Abram Smith, if you're talking the best zone blocker or a, a zone runner, uh, I think Abram Smith fits that to a T. I love that. Uh, I'm going to go to the SEC with Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, former big-time recruit, uh, started as a true freshman back in 2019. Now, really, the, the thing that stands out to me most about Isaiah Spiller his vision and patience. He sets up blocks really well. He's really decisive on those zone runs. Uh, you don't see him wasting a lot of movement. You don't see him like running into the backs of offensive linemen. Uh, he, not only can he carry the load from a physical standpoint, but uh, I think his vision and feel is really, really good. And so whether they're running outside zone, whether they're running inside zone, uh, I thought that he was just really, really effective in those zone schemes and all the traits you're looking for uh, to be able to be effective in that kind of system. I think that Spiller brings to the party. He's not the most explosive. He's not the guy that's going to be shot out of a cannon uh, that you want in some of those gap scheme runs where it's like, Hey, we want you going play side B gap. That's where you're going. If that's not there, you're going backside a no, like he, he has that really good feel for being able to navigate the briar patch, find open space and get downhill. So to me, when I look at Isaiah Spiller, his ability to succeed in those kind of systems, I think that kind of sets him apart. Uh, ben, how about you uh, on day three? Who's a, who's a guy that stands out here on his own system? Yeah, a whole bunch of zone backs I wanted to mention here. But actually think about this category backwards because two of my favorite offensive linemen for zone schemes, Tyler Linderbaum, yep. Icky Aquanu. So let's go right to those running backs that run behind them. That's Tyler Goodson at Iowa and Zonovan Knight at NC State. Both these programs crush the zone blocking, particularly outside zone, where it really lets those running backs pick and choose their alley where they want to put their foot in the ground and hit some of those cutback lanes. So Zonovan Knight. It's a little thick, little leggy. Reminds me of like a DeMarco Murray almost, some of his best stuff. Uh, and Tyler Goodson runs extremely hard, tested very well in Indy. Not sure if they're six, seven priority free agents, but definitely day three conversation running backs. All right, well, let's get to uh, now the inverse of these guys, the, the, the gap schemes. Who is best when uh, we're talking about 
power and counter and trap and those downhill uh, gap schemes concepts. For me, uh, I'm going to go to the to the SEC again, and I'm going to talk about Tyrion Davis Price from LSU, who is really impressive, guys. I mean, six foot, 211 pounds. Uh, he's got 16 starts under his belt over the last few years, and when you, when you watch him. It was mainly zone schemes watching him at LSU, but I thought his best stuff came when they ran counter. He was really, really effective uh, because he's his height, weight, speed profile, I think is really intriguing. I mean, he ran four five at 211 pounds at six feet tall. Uh, his ability to get downhill in a hurry, I thought really stood out. Uh, a powerful back. He's really tough to bring down. Once he gets that head of steam, uh, he'll lower the boom on defenders at the second and third level. Uh, I thought his vision was pretty good. He's more than just a battering ram, so I think that gives him a little bit more uh, flexibility and versatility than you would, you would expect. But uh, for a big body, uh, he can scoot, and I really like him downhill on some of those gap schemes. So for me, Tyrion Davis-Price, a guy not to be slept on here uh, in this class, he could sneak into the back end uh, of day two when it's all said and done. Dane, uh, who's the guy that stands out for you here on day two? And just one more thing on Davis Price. Um, uh, just when I finished up his report, something that I found was very interesting. Uh, as he got better as the game went on. Uh, mm. In first half of games last year, averaged 3.9 yards per carry. In the second half of games, 5.6. So, Boy, I love uh, that. yeah, and he's a guy that also later in the year, uh, he averaged, I think, 123 uh, yard uh, rushing yards per game over the last seven games uh, based off of uh, just, uh, just feel, he was feeling it. I mean, you gave him the rock and once he found that rhythm uh, he was able to make something happen. So uh, I, I agree with you. He's an underrated guy that maybe not being talked about as enough or as much as he should be. Um, I'm going with a guy that I don't think he's going to get on day two, but I think he's at least close enough. He's in that mid round conversation. Hassan Haskins from Michigan uh, you know, really patient, quick inside runner, uh, balanced in traffic. I, I mean, I think he fits, you know, they, with Josh Gaddis, they kind of ran like a power spread power gap, um, uh, scheme with, with their running game. And so, I mean, he was really productive. He had over 1300 yards. Uh, Haskins is a little bit off the radar because he was been injured. So he wasn't at the senior bowl, wasn't at the combine, uh, or at least wasn't able to work out. So uh, I think he's been maybe a little bit, uh, off the radar, but I, I think his, Senior film speaks for itself. He's a he's a good player. All right, Dane or uh, Ben, how about you for uh, for day three? Who, who's the guy that stands out in some of these gap schemes for you? Yeah, Hassan Haskins is a great one. I was also thinking maybe Kevin Harris at South Carolina. I'm going to go a little bit off the grid here. Isaiah Pacheco at Rutgers is a really violent runner. That loves to get downhill and vertical and their gap and kind of power scheme there at Rutgers. Had a couple of good games uh, in the Big Ten this year. Put on the Michigan tape, ran for over 100 yards. Really competitive player uh, in Ohio, against Ohio State for a few seasons as well. Also, a guy that does a lot of dirty work, not the most explosive offense, but he will get downhill and will finish runs on you. So Isaiah Pacheco, really interesting player from Rutgers. A solid performance out in Indianapolis as well. Uh, from sure, yep. I'm glad you were able to bring him up. Uh, let's get now to the, the toughest running, running backs uh, in this class. The guys that are the hardest to get to the ground, the, the power guys downhill, the really tough competitive runners. Uh, Dane, I'll come to you. Who's the guy that stands out that you feel could go off the board in day two? Damian Pierce got to be, I mean, just yep. anybody that watched that Florida state game, they know uh, with the, the helmet flying off and still that wasn't going to slow him down. Uh, he just runs with attitude. Uh, there, there's power in his legs. There's energy in what he does. Contact balance. Um, I, not only is he a, a finisher as a ball carrier, but as a blocker. Um, so anytime this guy's on the field, he is giving 110% and he is grinding it out. So toughness, competitiveness, Damian Pierce, he's the guy. 
Uh, I'm going to stay in the SEC, and I'm going to go with Brian Robinson from Alabama. Uh, guys, he ran for 1,300 yards this year. Two-thirds of those yards came after contact. And so when you look at Robinson at six, one and a half, 225 pounds, he's got nearly 32 inch arms. Uh, he's a really big, physically imposing runner, but he is really tough, really competitive. He fights for every inch he gets uh, as a ball carrier, uh, whether it's zone scheme or gap scheme didn't matter. Uh, really protected the football as well. Start with good, pretty good pass protector. Uh, you see the power, you see the burst. He's not a, a plotter at all. I mean, he ran four, five, five uh, out, out in Indianapolis, which all right, like that, that's not going to like blow you away. But he did it at 225 pounds, right? So uh, this is a big, powerful runner uh, that is really tough to get to the ground. Robinson went back for that extra year. He's a super senior uh, with the Crimson Tide. Really benefited. He was the backup to Najee Harris the last couple of years. Goes back for that extra year. Gets named first team All-SEC uh, here this past season. So uh, Brian Robinson, uh, the guy I wanted to bring to the table. Uh, ben, who do you want to bring to the party here? Man, those are great picks. And Damian Pierce and Brian Robinson. We already talked about Algier and Abram Smith, Hassan Haskins, some violent runners. So I'll throw a new guy in this conversation. How about Snoop Connor from Ole Miss, who's kind of a no-nonsense back, not a whole lot of wiggle and shake. That's because he just wants to run right through you. More than half of his career rushing yards after contact. Actually, looking here, almost 75% of his career yards are after contact. So he's a violent runner. Not a whole lot of wiggle, but because of that, he is very violent. He's physical. He will move the pile. He will fall forward. He's going to do the dirty work for somebody on early downs. He's fun, man. Uh, he actually, you know, he who, is fun. Yeah. You know who? Um, I just it just literally like the visual just popped in my head. Remember, like when Bryce Brown first got in the league as a seventh round pick coming out of Kansas State, Bryce and you're like, you see yeah. like the Kansas big, physically imposing runner that also could just go, like I'll put his foot in the ground and go. Snoop Connor has a bunch of those runs uh, this year for for Ole Miss. Where Snoop uh, has some runs where it's just him in the free safety. He's got thirty oh. yards left, thirty yards right, just run a direction. He just runs straight into the guy, but he'll finish him and he'll knock his knock him on his butt five six yards down the field. But just like give him something, give me some shake, run away from the guy. Uh, but because of that, definitely one of the glass eating types. All right. So Snoop Connor and Bryce Brown, I just gave you a free player cop. Let's give us three more here, guys. I'll go, I'll go first <laughs> here. Uh, Max Borgie, uh, the running back from Washington state, uh, really productive pass catcher. I mean, and he made a mark immediately out there in Pullman uh, with his ability to be a receiver out of the backfield. First to that Mike Leach offense, then converting to the new system. They still asked him to catch those passes out of the backfield. And it, it's an easy low-hanging fruit, like alley-oop, throw this one down, uh, Danny Woodhead comp. You know, in terms of the, the size profile, uh, the ability to win in the pass game, uh, Max Borgie is going to find a role. Uh, as long as he's able to check some other boxes, he's going to find a role here in the NFL. So Max Borgie, uh, Danny Woodhead, that's my uh, player comp here for this one. Ben, who's a, a player comp you've got for us? You know, I'll do comps of uh, both your picks. Last category, Damian Pierce, Brian Robinson. Damian okay. Pierce reminds me so much of Mike Davis. Coming out of South Carolina, a little bit low to the ground, 4-6 tester, guy you really have to work to drag down. Brian Robinson, a little more upright, a little taller. Reminds me a lot of Jeremy Hill coming at LSU. Remember his couple years with the Bengals, really physical, violent runner. So Damian Pierce, Mike Davis, Brian Robinson, a little Jeremy Hill. I actually have a Jeremy Hill comp for a guy that I'm going to talk about here in a, coming up in a little bit. But I want to first come to Dane for his uh, player comp. I also have one for Brian Robinson. I see a lot of Latavius Murray. Uh, we talked yeah. about that oh, nice. runner. Uh, I see a lot of Latavius Murray there. And then also uh, Tyler Algier uh, with James Conner. Um, yep. And th that was one that I, when I'm watching his tape in the fall, that, that immediately stood out. A guy that can do everything. Just you wish he had a little more burst, a little more, uh, you know, just uh, uh, explosiveness the way he runs. 
but it's still easy to appreciate the way he plays. And I mean, James Conner just got signed to a nice contract and uh, still, uh, you know, carving out a nice career for himself. And I think Tyler Algier could do the same. All right, well, let's get to uh, our next category here, guys. And we're going to go with uh, someone who we're just surprised isn't getting more love than what they're getting right now. And, and I'm going to stay uh, with that that Jeremy Hill comp, Ben. The guy that I thought of when I watched uh, this player was Jeremy Hill, and that's Kennedy Brooks from Oklahoma. Uh, first studied him back in 2019 where uh, he was teammates with Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts. And uh, this is a guy that has played three years. He opted out of 2020, so didn't play uh, last season. But when you watch him all three years, he's, he's hit 1,000 yards each of those three years but he hasn't been like the primary ball carrier. So he's only got 500 touches on his body over the course of his career. So you might be able to say, all right, well, this guy might be able to give us uh, plenty of juice here moving forward. I really like his patience. Uh, I think his vision is really, really good. He's a decisive runner. He's just not dynamic. I mean, he just barely cracked four, six out in Indianapolis. Uh, He's not like the quickest or most explosive or most twitchy. But uh, I think when you see a guy that consistently runs through first contact, uh, which he does, and that's been really impressive going back uh, to his sophomore year, um, Ben, I know you you actually dropped uh, – this is going back now to 2018, his freshman year. He was one of five players with 1,000 yards and eight yards of carry. So the guys that had that the volume but were still extremely efficient, only one of five guys in the entire country, uh, they were able to hit that, and he did that as a true freshman. You know, for a guy that did that on a big stage, playing for the Sooners, uh, only one fumble in his career. Like, There's just a lot to like about the Kennedy Brooks profile. Uh, I'm surprised he's not getting a little bit more love than uh, what he's seen so far. Ben, who's the guy for you uh, that fits this? You know, I got a guy that's on a similar trajectory and just has a similar like taste in my mouth when watching him and reflecting back on his career. And that's Ty Chandler. More recently out of North Carolina, previously Tennessee, very high recruit, just behind DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris and all those guys in that 2017 recruiting class. But he's got home run ability, tons of 50-yard runs, a couple of 50-yard plays in the pass game, good returner as well, inside-outside ability. But he had a strong week at the Shrine. Uh, practices tested really well in Indianapolis was on some kind of unique offenses, not always the most functional uh, for lack of better words out there in Tennessee, Eric Gray ended up going over to Oklahoma. He goes to North Carolina, not quite this season. I expected with North Carolina and those running backs moving on to the NFL. But I think when you take Chai Chandler away and just look at his ability, I think he's going to make some offensive coordinator really excited to have him in his locker room and at his disposal. So he may be a guy can squeeze on as a third, fourth running back in a room, look out for him in the preseason to have a big performance, maybe squeeze on some fantasy teams by the end of the year with his contributions in the past game too. So Ty Chandler, we didn't really talk about him a whole lot on this pod, not getting a lot of love, but he's a good player. Yeah, I agree. A guy that's uh, definitely got an interesting profile coming from Tennessee now to North Carolina. Got a little bit of a more of a lion's share of the carries there. Dane, uh, how about you? Uh, Round us out on this category. I'll go with Pierre Strong uh, from South Dakota State, who ran, I believe, the fastest 40 of all the running backs, 437. Um, And, you know, he led the FCS in rushing last year, uh, averaged 7.2 yards per carry over his career. Uh, and obviously most of that came against FCS competition, but just throwing the Colorado state tape, uh, which is the only FBS opponent he's had the last two years. He had no trouble running all over that defense. Uh, so there's a lot of things to like about him. He, he sorts through the trash. He, he, he can work inside. Uh, he also can get uh, to the second level, create conflict for, for safeties. Uh, he could just shake, rattle and roll. And so Pierre strong, I think is a, an underrated player on day three. 
All right, so we'll uh, keep this theme going just with a, a late-round UDFA type of player, uh, just someone to keep an eye on and, and watch. And, Ben, I'll come to you first. Uh, who's a UDFA or a day-three option uh, that you feel is just one of those sleepers to keep an eye on here? All right, two guys I just want to mention real quick. I've been a fan of Cameron Harris at Miami for a couple of years now. Another offense that was all over the place as far as productivity and just being a stable locker room coaching staff. He's a tough kid, catches the ball well, will pass protect his butt off out there for Miami. And another guy, last two years didn't really go as planned, but look at his first two years out there at Oregon, is C.J. Verdell. Had 2,000-yard seasons out there with Justin Herbert as a freshman, sophomore, the weird 2020 season, the Pac-12, only four games, ankle injury last year. When he's on the field, he's productive and catches the ball well, and he's tough and has some long speed. So, unfortunately, the injury didn't test that great. Not that we really expected them to, but two guys that I think will be camp bodies and we'll see if they can squeeze onto a roster. Cameron Harris, Miami, CJ Verdell, Oregon. I like it. Uh, I'm going to go back to the SEC. I feel like I've talked about a lot of SEC backs uh, here in this episode. Uh, yeah, what have they ever done in the SEC? Yeah, right. Uh, I'm going to go. You mentioned his teammate, uh, Ben, earlier, Kevin Harris. Uh, I'm going to go with Saquandre White uh, from South Carolina. Now, uh, White was the number one running back recruit coming out of high school uh, in the state of Florida. He had a bunch of offers, uh, goes to Florida State. Red shirts his first year. They move him to linebacker his second year. He's got 22 tackles. He's like, look, guys, I, I want to play running back. Transfers out, goes the JUCO route, goes to Iowa Western Community College, ends up at South Carolina in 2020. They already have Harris there as kind of the established guy. So he splits time there as a junior. And then this year, he only he still only had 88 carries, 583 yards, gets a late senior bowl invite, goes down to Mobile, had a solid week down there. But I think when you look at Quan White, there's a lot to like about this profile. He's six foot, just over 200 pounds. Uh, if you look just at like the PFF metric stuff, right? He's really high in uh, missed tackles force per attempt. He's really high in yards after contact per attempt. He's high in yards per route run. He's only put one ball on the ground in his entire career, only 261 touches. So he's got plenty of carries left on his body. He looks the part. He's played a ton of special teams. He's really strong. He's really powerful. He fights through arm tackles really, really well. Uh, he can make guys miss and any one number of ways. Uh, there's just a lot to like there. Now, the vision and decisiveness can be a little bit better. You would expect for a guy that hasn't played, hasn't played a ton. Um, but I think that this is a big back at six foot, 200 pounds who moves pretty well. He couldn't test out in Indianapolis due to an ankle injury. But I think when you look at Quan White, there's a lot to like there from a profile standpoint. So interesting player just to kind of track here moving forward into the NFL. Uh, Dane, around us out. Who's the, the last sleeper to watch? Well, and Quan White, uh, he had his pro day on Friday, I believe, uh, and he was up 10 pounds, uh, up to 215 uh, from the combine, ran a 4.60, 36-inch vert, 10-1 broad, uh, 7.37 three-cone, uh, 4.44 short shuttle, so a solid uh, yeah. workout for him. Um, I mean, I, I agree. He, he's a really interesting player who uh, I think when you – you know, hear the word bouncy. I, that it fits him perfectly uh, at the running back position. It's how he plays. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with a guy that Ben actually mentioned earlier, Tristan Ebner from Baylor, who uh, as a running back only, I don't know that he necessarily makes an NFL roster, but when you consider the impact that he makes on special teams, that's really what separates him. And when it comes down to cut time, uh, it is going to separate him from some of these other guys. Back to back Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Year, uh, three kick returns for touchdowns the last two years, 
Uh, he'll make tackles. Uh, there, there's just a lot to like about what he does. Uh, he played 61 games over his career. I mean, he's durable. Uh, that's the Baylor record for games played. So, uh, you know, it, it, he was, he's always been productive in high school. He was, uh, you know, a, a big time producer. So um, I, I, he's comfortable running routes out of the backfield uh, as a pass catcher. So there's a lot that I think Tristan Ebner can bring to your team, uh, both special teams and on offense. I like it. Well, guys, uh, we're going to get into on the clock, but real quick, two big names that we didn't mention. And I want to come to you guys for these two names. Dane, I'm going to come to you for James Cook. Uh, ben, you met, you alluded to him at the top, but a little, I think he's worth a little bit of a deeper dive since he's one of the first backs off the board. And then, Ben, I'm going to come to you for Rashad White uh, from Arizona State. But, Dane, uh, let's go to you first for James Cook. Uh, your thoughts on him and projecting him to the NFL. I mean, there's a chance that he's one of the first two or three backs off the board. I would think that's a pretty safe bet to make. It's possible, certainly. Uh, it, Dalvin's little brother, uh, it, you know, you w- wonder about him as an inside runner. Can he do that sure. at the NFL? Uh, but that's really not why you're drafting him in a top 100, top 125 picks. You're taking him that early because uh, of his ability in the passing game, uh, his ability uh, off tackle. Uh, he can run routes. Uh, he, he can make guys miss in the open field. He catches the ball like he's a receiver. So uh, he just he's a playmaker. And in the right type of role, absolutely, I could see a team drafting him somewhere in the first uh, you know, 125 selections uh, if it fits exactly what you're looking for. All right, Ben, uh, Rashad White uh, went to the Senior Bowl. Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts on, on White projecting to the Leafs. Yeah, he's an interesting player. He's a kind of a tall, leggy, upright guy, skinny frame. Huge 2020 season at Arizona State where he didn't get a huge workload, but tons of explosive runs. Turn the page to 2021, a normal workload. Just never really taps back into that explosive element. They really want to get him involved in the pass game. Had 43 receptions, caught the ball very nice, a lot of screens, just never really broke those long ones like he did the year before. He's a guy that showed up to Indianapolis, ran 4.48 at, you know, 6'1, 215. So he's got good size. We'll see if he can maybe squeeze on and be a third down contributor, screen game, change of pace back for somebody uh, on day three. Yeah, I've said before on the show that he kind of reminds me a little bit of Antonio Gibson uh, because of the how big he is, but how explosive he is, too. He's a really interesting player. Uh, all right, let's get into uh, one of my favorite segments here on the show. We do it on a weekly basis. We're going to play Matchmaker here. It's time to go on the clock. Eagles fans, Merrill Reese here to tell you about the Eagles Autism Challenge presented by Lincoln Financial Group. This annual Ride, Run, Walk event supports autism research and programming as we work hard every day to advance the conversation from awareness to action. This year's event will take place on Saturday, May 21st at Lincoln Financial Field. With your support, we can help transform the lives of individuals affected by autism. Register today at EaglesAutismChallenge.org. On the Clock. All right, so for our new listeners that uh, you know, maybe aren't used to hearing this segment, basically what's going to happen is that all three of us have been assigned already uh, a random team, a random position, and a random part of the draft. I use a little randomizer website. It spits out a nice combination for us. And the, the goal is to try and play matchmaker here. We're going to put ourselves in the shoes of the, of the team and say, who's the player that best fits this, uh, this combination? And we're going to give the whys behind all of it. And first up this week, here in round one, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, are on the clock with Dane Brugler as uh, as playing uh, the, the the role of Duke Tobin. Uh, I'm interested to kind of get your 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 take here, uh, Dane. Defensive line, and this could be a defensive end. It could be a defensive tackle. What do you think here as a defensive lineman for the Bengals at the end of round one, 31st overall pick? 
Well, you know, traditionally, it's not a position defensive line that the Bengals have addressed in the first round. They go, they've been offense heavy the last few years. Uh, and then when they do go uh, defense, we've seen a lot of back seven uh, defenders. But uh, with the way that they have attacked free agency and the way that, uh, you know, the setup of this roster could absolutely see a defensive lineman here as just a, a luxury piece. Um, and so when you look at uh, what they've done in free agency, bringing back B.J. Hill, uh, fortifying that middle. Uh, they could use maybe a quicker, more penetrating type of defensive tackle. So I think Devontae Wyatt could be in the mix. Uh, you know, They've got a good track record with uh, Georgia defensive tackles, Geno Atkins, uh, for all those years uh, in Cincinnati. So I think that would make sense. Um, uh, just getting some more of that interior penetration. And then when you look at uh, the type of defensive ends that they like, uh, they, they like guys that test well, three cone, 40 yard dash. Um, and so could we see maybe uh, Arnold Abichetti from Penn State? Uh, could that be a spot for where maybe he would go? And then the other uh, guy I wanted to mention is, uh, you know, this is a, a franchise that's never been scared of guys with character concerns or anything like that. But what about injury concerns? Could this be a spot where maybe they say, oh, wow, David Ajabo, uh, you know, he's fallen to us here. And, you know, we're in a position on our defensive line with, you know, Trey Hedrinson, Sam Hubbard. And they drafted uh, two guys early uh, last year with a Texas kid, Osai, J- Joseph Osai. Right, and, yep. uh, so you're thinking, you know, maybe this is a luxury pick. Maybe we take a guy like David Ajabo who can sit and learn or we bring him out along at his own pace. So I think there's some, some intrigue here with the defensive lineman. If I had to pick one, I think I'd go Devontae Wyatt, uh, a guy that you plug into the middle, part of that rotation, uh, team him up with uh, B.J. Hill and D.J. Reader and those guys, give you a little more of that interior disruption. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you look at the some of the things that they've focused on, as you mentioned, you know, uh, they've had success at, at Georgia in the SEC. Um, you know, Power Five schools has been big. Uh, they don't really necessarily go too far off the board. Senior Bowl guys, I mean, it it checks a lot of the boxes. Um, then, and I think that Devontae Wyatt definitely makes a lot of sense to them uh, at the end of round one. Uh, I am next here uh, in this exercise, and I drew the New York Jets corner for round two. Now, they've addressed the secondary a little bit here uh, in free agency, but wouldn't shock me still if they if they went with uh, the cornerback position. So basically, what I did, you know, looking at first of all, they've got two top forty picks here. They've got one at thirty five, and they've got one at thirty eight. Uh, that thirty eighth overall pick came from Carolina in the Sam Darnold trade. Uh, and when you look at Joe Douglas and, and his history and the way that they've kind of put things together, they'll always lean on that speed, toughness, instincts mantra from the Baltimore Ravens and Ozzie Newsome. So uh, that's something I, could, I took into account. Heavy trend towards seniors. Uh, only so they take nineteen players. Only two juniors have been selected outside of round one. And so, uh, you know, definitely senior heavy uh, when you you know look at the way that they kind of put their draft classes together uh, and then football character above all else. So um, to me, I'm going to look at uh, three different players here, and I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts, guys, on, on where they would go. Uh, number one, I went Roger McCreary. Now, playing for Robert Sala in that scheme, or they, would they be okay with the lack of length there? I don't think DJ Reed is necessarily the longest player. That's a guy that they signed in free agency from Seattle. Uh, he had success in that Seattle scheme this year. Um, but Roger McCreary, uh, would they be okay with his body type? If they are, I think he checks the other boxes uh, that you're looking for. Kair Elam, I think, fits the scheme a little bit better from a pure body type standpoint. He is an underclassman. Um, they also, though, have taken two Florida players in two years under Joe Douglas. So uh, maybe some inroads down there. 
in Gainesville. And then lastly, Kobe Bryant uh, from Cincinnati. He fits the scheme. They coached him down in Mobile. Uh, obviously very productive here in his senior season. Uh, it's to kind of get your guys' thoughts, but I think I'm leaning McCreary. I think that would be the selection uh, if I had to guess. You know, these if those three guys were on the board, um, that I think it would be McCreary. But, uh, Ben, what do you think? Uh, is there anybody else that comes to mind? Or are you happy with uh, McCreary as the pick? What do you think? I think McCreary would be a fine pick out there. And looking at their current roster and who they feel comfortable at wide corner, whether it's DJ Reed or Brandon Eccles or, you know, Michael Carter is a little bit more of a nickel, but they spent fifth round capital. Seems like length isn't as important to them. So I think the concerns of McCreary and certain schemes may be a little bit more heightened, but for the Jets, I think that's a great landing spot and a great fit. I think what, I mean, with Kyrie Elam, uh, we know that the Jets, they, they, they pay attention to the stopwatch at this position and Kyrie Elam uh, not only does he have the size, he's six foot, six, one and a half. He's got 31 inch arms, but he ran a four, three, nine uh, at the combine. And so I, I think that's something that uh, matters a little bit. Um, and, you know, he's got the NFL bloodlines, uh, which I, I think matters a little bit too, with his, his father, Abe playing in the NFL um, uh, for all those years. So uh, Elam, I, I think definitely makes some sense there as well. All right. Well, Ben, uh, let's come to you next. And you got round three. So we, uh, we hit all three rounds to start the draft off. Uh, you've got the LA Rams and the, 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 the position that we drew in the randomizer complimentary running back. So basically what I meant when I put that in there was looking at the running backs they have in the roster, who's somebody who could complement that. So you get to the third round, who's the guy that complements the, the guys they already have in the building currently uh, interested to see who you come up with here. Interesting. Complimentary running back, Super Bowl champion Rams, round three. All right. I think our mainstays, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, our depth, not a whole lot to point to. I see some undersized guys like Raymond Calais. Oh, Javion Hawkins, Louisville. Nice to see you. Still in the league. Sony Michelle looks like he's on his way out. So I think it's that type of presence of a Sony Michelle third down back, pass game weapon, someone we can really feature in some matchups. Um, later in drives and third down. So guys, I'm thinking about immediately Kyron Williams, Tyler Beatty at Mizzou, James Cook out of Georgia. Um, I think those three running backs are probably in the prime landing spot for round three and more of the pass game upside types. But just to have a conversation, guys, don't be so narrow focused because I'm also thinking about guys like Khalil Shakur who has a lot of rushing attempts and create creative uses in his time at Boise. How about Wandell Robinson? Yes, he's a slot receiver. He has 141 career rushing attempts. So there may be other ways to supplant this need as well, as we've seen around the league, Cordello Patterson's and Debo Samuels and stuff like that. But, you know, losing a Sony Michelle, a Bulldogs back, a kid from South Florida. Let's just go ahead and hit reset and all that. We'll go with James Cook out of Georgia from South Florida who I think would be a great third down fit uh, for Sean McVay and Matt Stafford and that offense out there, who I think has a great complementative skill set to the Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson's we had talked about. I was going to say, you know, what's funny is I actually wrote down Darrell Henderson as I was watching James Cook in terms of uh, uh, the skill set. So I think that that's, uh, that pairs up well. I have a different visual of their profile. I have this Henderson where he's a little bit wider with these short legs and that kind of profile. Cook is a little bit more upright and lean in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just more of a visual aesthetic. It sure. could literally be how their how their pads and jersey lay on them and how sure. high they pull their socks up. Sometimes the aesthetics <laughs> really fit into how you view the player. No question. Uh, well, guys, uh, that, that does it here for our running back preview for the 2022 NFL Draft. We'll be back next week. 
breaking down linebackers. Uh, so it's always fun uh, to as we get closer and closer to this draft on the clock. Fun as always. We've got our draft mailbag we're going to get to right now. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so good stuff there from both Ben and Dane. We've got two questions here from our Apple Podcast page. And again, the best way to reach us for this segment is to head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you listen, where you can leave a comment, where you can leave a question. That rating helps boost us up in the rankings. So you help us, we help you. That's how this works here on the podcast. We're going to start first with SRM Chef, who left a five-star review on our Apple Podcast page and uh, leaving the review saying, Fran, uh, you're the best in the business at being informative and effective and delving into the draft. Uh, Chef, thank you so much for that. Hey, here's the question. My question is, now that Hassan Reddick is signed, who is the edge of the defensive line prospect with the highest upside in the draft? With Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, uh, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, uh, and Milton Williams, the Eagles could take a toolsy player with high upside and let them develop in a rotation with a deep corral of defensive linemen around them. Would Ojabo or Trayvon Walker be that guy? Or is there a mid to late round player that could use a little bit of time but has a high ceiling? Thank you. So, uh, uh, Chef, yeah, I think, look, you, you hit on a couple of those players with Ojabo and Trayvon Walker. Uh, my guess is that Trayvon Walker is long gone uh, by the time the Eagles pick in the middle of round one. That's just my guess as we sit here today in late March. But, uh, look, there's a reason why this class is regarded as a, as talented of a class as it is. And uh, we mentioned Ojabo. We talked about the news surrounding him um, and where that could, how that could impact uh, his, t- his draft slot. But, Look, you get into day two, there are players there with high upside, right? You look at uh, Alex Wright from UAB, who is a monstrous, explosive pass rusher, uh, has the ability to push the pocket. He makes great plays in pursuit. Uh, you know, just an outstanding, outstanding prospect that needs a little bit of refinement, right? So uh, there's an option. Maje Sanders from Cincinnati, uh, really high upside, high side rusher, uh, explosive first step. He times the snap well. He can turn the corner. Uh, so Sanders, I think, kind of fits that mold. Amari Barno from Virginia Tech, you would say the same things about, right? So, um, you know, Kingsley Anibari went down to South Carolina, from South Carolina, went down to the Senior Bowl and was one of the more dominant players on the first couple days of practice. Nick Benito from Oklahoma, uh, really highly athletic. Uh, you might say he's a, a Sam or a rush linebacker type prospect. So, a bunch of options. Boye Mafe from Minnesota is an, a, a player I know a lot of people are really, really high on. So, uh, there's a reason why this defensive line class is regarded the way it is, and that's because there are so many talented players uh, up and down the draft board in this group. So, Chef, thanks so much uh, for the five-star review. Thank you for the question. One last one here. TC Mart 923 left a five-star review saying, Fran, uh, this is my favorite time of year with the new league year starting. Uh, here's a mock draft I would like your thoughts on. So, uh, this comes from uh, C- TC Mart, and again, using the Draft Network's mock draft machine. I'll go about it. Uh, three first-round picks to start. Andrew Booth, cornerback from Clemson, Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle from Georgia, and then a player we just talked about, Boye Mafe, the pass rusher from Minnesota. So I think when you look at those three players, three really intriguing talents. Andrew Booth from Clemson, uh, only a one-year starter. He started a a couple of games last year as a sophomore, but uh, this year was when he took on and was the full-time starter. Really toolsy player. I think when you look at the height, weight, speed, it's really impressive. His ball skills are outstanding. He go, he lives on that island where screen passes and bubble screens and jet sweeps go to die. He's a really physical tackler, really aggressive downhill. So uh, lots of like there with Andrew Booth. Then you go to Devontae Wyatt. Uh, he's a little bit different from the age standpoint. 
standpoint, he went back for that extra year. Only five career sacks, two and a half of them came this year. Obviously, a very crowded Georgia defensive front, and they're not always asking those guys to push, push, push to get upfield, right? It's more uh, contained, lots of slanting, lots of lateral movement as opposed to upfield movement. So when you have that, you're going to create confusion for opposing offenses, but you're going to kind of take the uh, the defensive production for your defensive front. You're going to kind of put that uh, you know to the back burner. So I think that affected guys like Wyatt and Jordan Davis and some of the other players uh, up front, especially on the interior. But uh, Wyatt's a really fun player. He went down to the Senior Bowl, had a good week, had a great week at the Combine. Dane just talked about him last segment. I don't need to go too much deeper uh, there. And then Boye Mafe, I talked about, highly athletic, uh, really, really high upside player. Love his motor. Uh, the, the traits are all there. Boye Mafe, a really, really fun talent. Let's go day two now. Second round, two selections here. Jalen Petrie for the safety from Baylor. Drake Jackson, the pass rusher from UAC. And then uh, Quay Walker, the linebacker from Georgia. So real quick on these three players. Uh, Jalen Petrie from Baylor. Played in the slot, played in the box, played a little bit deep, but mostly close to the line of scrimmage and really was an effective slot corner uh, for them out there in Baylor. But did a number of things in two different defensive systems. He's known for his football character, his versatility, his toughness. Uh, just stuffed the stat sheet in every way imaginable. Just a ton to like there with Jalen Petrie and the way that he plays. Uh, you know, He's really tough. He's physical. He's instinctive. He's versatile. There's a lot to like there. He just comes in a smaller package. He's uh, you know sub six foot, you know, sub 200 pounds. So if you're okay with the lack of size, he does a lot for you. Drake Jackson from USC. He went to USC as a big-time recruit coming out of high school, uh, was a three-year starter. His weight was all over the place, and it depends on the on the scheme and what they were trying to do with him. Sometimes he was standing up and playing over, you know, over the slot and doing things there. Sometimes they were kicking him inside to play as more of a defensive tackle. So the usage is all over the place, um, but this is a guy that's got all kinds of tools. Uh, the athleticism is definitely there. I thought his combine dr- drill work was really, really impressive. Um, you if you can get the best, the best out, the most out of him, you've got a really, really good player because uh, the tools are there for him to be successful. And then Quay Walker from Georgia, uh, only a one-year starter, obviously a crowded defense down there at Georgia, so he was behind some upperclassmen early in his career, but he looks the part. I mean, he is all of six foot three, uh, close to 240, 250 pounds. He's really athletic and rangy. He plays through contact well. He can blitz. He can cover. Um, you know, the best football could be ahead of Quay Walker. Uh, when you look at this, is a guy that uh, played as essentially a pass rusher in high school, then made that move to linebacker when he got to college. So still kind of learning the position, but uh, the traits are all there for him to be a high-level starter in the NFL. Now we'll kind of breeze through the day three picks here from T.C. Mart. Uh, We've got Jalen Tolbert, wide receiver from South Alabama, really springy athlete. He can attack vertically. had a good week down there in Mobile. Uh, But uh, you're talking about a six-foot-plus receiver with vertical ability, so that's impressive. Jelani Woods, the tight end from Virginia, had a big year this year for the Cavaliers, transferred from Oklahoma State really athletic and really has shined throughout the pre-draft process. He had a good week out in Las Vegas, reportedly uh, at the Shrine Bowl, and goes to the Combine. Looked really impressive in Indianapolis. JT Woods, highly athletic safety from Baylor, and he played all over the place. Uh, but again, you're talking, you're betting on the athletic traits there. Really high-level sprinter. Uh, so you're talking about range, playmaking ability. Still a little bit of a project from a football standpoint. Cade Mays, the interior offensive line from Tennessee, and you play, you you say interior offensive line, but he's played all five positions. Uh, over the course of his career. He's played at Tennessee, started his career at Georgia. Uh, he's played tackle, guard, center on both sides. So you love the versatility there. Uh, that's going to be something that really attracts him to a number of teams. And then lastly, Isaac Taylor Stewart from USC. Uh, also another player with plenty of traits, 6'2 and change, uh, 190-ish pounds. This is a guy that can go up and play the football. He can play man. He can play zone. Just the, the, the consistency is why he would fall uh, to this round uh, of the draft. So 
Really impressive mock draft there, Chris. Thanks so much uh, for reaching out. Thank you for the five-star review. And thank you to all of you out there for your support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That said, we'll be back uh, later this week. I've got a fun episode lined up for you right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.